Well, Psalm 10, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the very word of God, which is written for you and for me today. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. For all, of, for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages, in the secret places. He murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws them into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. This far the reading of God's word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, Congregation of Christ, as Christians, we boldly confess the transcendence and holiness of God. He is other. He is the high and lofty one who is above all of his creation. The living God is the one who, as our confession teaches us, is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, Almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, and most absolute. The prophet Isaiah proclaimed this truth through God's words in Isaiah 57, verse 15, when he said, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Hear this, beloved, in awe. Hear it in awe. God is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. That should blow your mind in and of itself. He is holy, and he dwells in the high and the holy place. Our transcendent God is also a pure spirit. He is invisible. And these being true, God doesn't have a body like men. We can't see him with our eyes. Further, 
He isn't subject to any limitation of any kind. There is no place where God isn't. He is omnipresent, being found everywhere at the same time. And even more, Scripture teaches us the wonderful truth that the transcendent and the omnipresent God condescends and dwells with His people. He who inhabits eternity. He who dwells in the high and lofty place. He condescends and dwells with His people. And this is most gloriously seen in the coming of Jesus Christ. But we also importantly see His presence with His people throughout the Scriptures all the way back to the garden, don't we? We heard this in Isaiah 57, verse 15, didn't we? He dwells with whom? With Him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Indeed, Jesus is the Word become flesh. And He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 And so as we come to Psalm 10, know that it was likely connected to Psalm 9 in its original form. And we find the psalmist, who most scholars believe to be David, although he doesn't identify himself as such at the beginning, we find him making a complaint to God regarding his enemies, as well as giving a plea for divine help. And we find David's questions and concerns noted in the first two verses. His words about the prosperity of the wicked in verses 3 through 7, as well as what they do in secret in verses 8 through 10. And so notice his question and questions beginning in verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Beloved, see the window into David's heart and struggles here. For we've seen him to be a man of joy and of boldness in praise and proclamation of the marvelous works of his covenant Lord to all who would hear. We've, we've seen that in previous Psalms. We've also learned that he was a man who knew God's presence. He knew God's protection and preservation of his life very well. And he praised God for these specifically. He proclaimed God as his refuge most recently in Psalm 9. And that's a good example. However, David was a redeemed sinner, like we are, who had times of doubt and discouragement as he looked around at his surroundings and his enemies, at his own circumstances, especially in comparison to theirs. And especially as he saw what he perceived to be true of theirs. And in his discouragement, David complained against the Lord, asking him a big yet common question, why? In fact, David's question, why, O Lord, is a huge piece of this whole psalm. 
Why do you stand at a distance from me, my God? Why have you concealed yourself in my times of trouble? Literally, the Hebrew here, it designates a lack of rain or the presence of drought with this figurative sense of trouble. I am without water in a dry and weary land, even within my own heart, O Lord. And as I look at my surroundings, I, I, don't, I don't see you. I don't see your work. I don't see your action. I've praised you for standing for me and my cause. Where are you, O Lord? There are two big things, though, that I want you to consider regarding David's questions here. First, it can be bitter to go through a time or season where God seems to be a stranger to us. Our experience is not uncommon with David's. We can relate sometimes. Bitterness is, temptation, is tempting to let that settle into our hearts sinfully. In Psalm 30, verses 6 and 7, we read there, Now in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong. But what does he say at the end of verse 7? You hid your face, and I was troubled. When we know the presence of our Lord, and when we have great confidence and great trust in that, and we're walking forward in that, we're standing on the mountaintops, and we say, yes, I know the presence of the Lord. And yet, when his face is hidden, maybe when we're in times of his fatherly chastening and displeasure, Maybe when we feel like he is far from us and we need to be careful about feelings, right? Feelings can be fickle. Feelings are often wrong. But when we believe that he is far from us and he's hidden his face, we're troubled. Job struggled with such bitterness. In Job 23, beginning in verse 1, We read there, then Job answered and said, even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, he said. But he would take note of me. There the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Job knew God. He knew who he was. Knew who he is. Yet he wrestled. He wrestled with bitterness. But secondly, keep in mind that David's perception that God had forsaken him was merely that. It was his perception at the time. And he would come to see that by God's grace. 
Remember that David had just proclaimed in Psalm 9, verse 10, how God has never forsaken those who seek him. He has never. David came to a similar realization in Psalm 31, beginning in verse 21, when he said, Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Notice two things there. He says, for I said in my haste. He knew that he was hasty. He knew that he was hasty in saying, I am cut off before your eyes. But nevertheless, he says, You heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. He recognized that. The Spirit gave him such grace to to know that the Lord heard him. He was present. He was listening. Isaiah said in Isaiah 50, verse 10, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. May that verse sink into your heart. Chew on that, beloved. Because the servant that he's speaking of indeed is Christ, pointing us to Christ. Who walks in darkness and has no light? If you were there, if you were in the valley of the shadow, like David felt that he was, if you were there, what do you need to do? Trust and rely. Trust in the name of the Lord, for his name is great. And rely upon your God. He will not fail you. And so what was the scene of David's trouble? God felt like he hid, he said, right? You're hidden from me. It's not like you're hiding from behind a bush, so to speak, but I I don't see you. I, I can't discern your presence. David wasn't only troubled by God's apparent absence, but that in connection with the wicked's apparent success. (laughs) It wasn't just his absence, but the wicked's success, their prosperity added to the picture. I I need you even more, (laughs) O Lord. Um, Show yourself to me. Look at verse 2. He begins to describe in detail the wicked and their success. He says, The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. Beloved, see how the sin of pride is what fuels persecution here. The sin of pride fuels persecution to despise and oppress 
others who dislike and oppose their wickedness and their wicked ways or refuse to go along with them. We see this frequently daily even today, don't we? With pride-fueled hearts, the wicked of our day rise up and attempt to tyrannize and destroy the lives and the reputations of any and all who aren't with them, and indeed of all who are against them. But see that this pattern is nothing new. It goes all the way back. Pride to persecution. Pride to persecution. We've been battling this for a long time as the people of God. From pride festivals and parades and their flaunting of sin to past and very recent celebrations of the murder of abortion. They rise up, they rage, they celebrate, and then they seek to persecute Socially, politically, civilly, and religiously, any who oppose them. All fronts. And those are just two of the many that we could talk about. Right? But knowing the scene, what did David plead that God would do? David desired the wicked to fall captive to the reality of Psalm 915. He was saying, in essence, O Lord, let them be trapped in the evil plans that they intended for others. Let them be trapped in the evil plans that they intended for me. And why this plea? Consider the many ways that pride shows itself in both the heart and lives of the wicked. And that's what he goes on to show us in verse 3. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. And so David here begins to flesh out the twisted heart and the twisted actions of those who hate God. And he gives us a window into their hearts, and it's all bad. (laughs) It's all bad. But it's good for us to see. We need to see it. We need to know it. First, David points us to their self-boasting and their greed, notice. Their boast isn't in Christ. Their boast isn't in the Lord. But no, rather than delighting himself in the Lord and God giving him the desires of his heart, like David says in Psalm 37, verse 4, the wicked boasts in his own evil desires and lusts. The wicked brags about his own wit and wealth. He blesses himself as he goes after all that he wants and therefore blasphemes God. In verse 4, David says, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Literally, beloved, the wicked In the haughtiness of his nose, is what that means. His proud countenance. The haughtiness of his nose. In the the pride of his face. This is literally one of those things that we would colloquially say today, he's sticking his nose up in the air. He's a little haughty and proud and arrogant. 
right? You can see the inside of his nostrils as he lifts up his nose in arrogance and pride. He doesn't seek God. He is so self-absorbed, he believes that he has no need of God, and he seeks after those who are like him. Paul's words in Romans 1 should readily come to our minds when he says in Romans 3, uh, 10 and 11, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. This is the heart and the state of the depraved man. Paul quoted David here from Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, the first three verses, we read this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Yes, we see that. We see these exact words repeated by Paul to the church in Rome. The words of David here. Tragically, beloved, God is in none of his thoughts. He doesn't desire God. He doesn't inquire of God. The wicked is without prayer and have no communion with God. In fact, the desire of the wicked is zero dependence upon him at all. And so with this view of their hearts, David also shows us their ways, doesn't he? In verse 5, he says, His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. Beloved, to David's dismay, he couldn't see or find any area where his enemies weren't doing well. Thriving, even. And again, his question. Why? Oh Lord, shouldn't this be the opposite? The wicked are both daring and determined in the evil that they do. They are determined to have their way no matter what pain comes from their actions. And from David's perceptions, God's judgments weren't close to them nor on them for that matter. And therefore, the wicked didn't see them or feel them or fear them. In fact, the wicked looked at his enemies and literally sneered and snorted at them with contempt. Huh. And yet in verse 6 and 7 he says, He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. Oh, we hear James 3 all over the place here, don't we, regarding the tongue and the evil of it, the poison of it. 
My friends, like Babylon the Great, the arrogant heart of the wicked convinces himself that he is untouchable. No one can touch me, no one can defeat me, no one can take me down. So thought many, like Nebuchadnezzar, didn't they? Untouchable, eh, not against God. To those that he can't truly harm, notice that he will spew all kinds of sinful words and lies and slander and anger from his lips at believing no one can stop him. And at least that's what he thinks. And so an important question to ask and answer is, why did God and why does God allow the wicked to prosper? That's a question that we need to grapple with in this text. This is David's complaint. But why, in God's wisdom and providence, does he allow that to happen? Why are there times and seasons when they are thriving while his people are in pain and oppressed by them? Or because of their wicked actions? A clear answer to these questions is threefold, at least. Outside of our understanding and beyond our understanding, we know that it's God's perfect will for the display of his justice. To show the wonder and beauty of his people's deliverance and redemption, and it's all for his glory. And on those three things at least, among others, we must stand and trust and again rely upon our God. His ways are not our ways. There are some things that we can't understand, but we can understand this and see this. He allows the wicked to rise up, for in his timing he will bring them down. And it will be oh so glorious. And it will be to the praise of his power and his justice and his holiness and his righteousness as they will not be able to stand in his presence. Considering the comforting words of our Lord in Psalm 12, verse 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. God was with David. God heard David. God would provide for David. He would deliver him. We've heard that in many ways, in many words in Psalms prior. We will hear it many times again. But here, even in Psalm 12, I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. He, would, he will deliver. Proverbs 11, verse 7 and 8 say this, When a wicked man dies... His expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. The very thing that David had hoped for would come to pass in God's wisdom and providence, according to Proverbs 11. 
And the same is true for us today in time and even looking to the ultimate end when God will come and Christ will sit as the just and righteous judge. But David goes on to describe how in pride the wicked also lurk. Notice in verse 8. He says he sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. Notice that. He doesn't make a big show of it. It's very private, but he's looking at him. He's got his bead on him. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws them into his net. And so he crouches. He lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. Do you hear the pattern here? Lurking. Secrecy and stealth. Like a lion all for the purpose of identifying and drawing in and catching and devouring the weak and the helpless and the innocent. Oh, how we see this today. Except in our day, the wicked do it in secret, but they're also coming out into the open. And people are praising them for it. Shame on them that they would praise evil at the expense of the innocent. But he does these things exactly like his father, the devil. But praise the Lord for Jesus Christ who has defeated him. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ that shows himself to be everything that David needs. He is not hidden. We hide as sinners from God. Adam and Eve knew that well. But he is there, he is present, he is listening, and he listens to those who are his in Christ. He hears our cries. He hears our needs. He hears our pain. And so in times of trouble in your life, beloved, like David, have you felt like God was or maybe is afar off and hidden? Like he's standing at a distance from you? And if you have, what did or even what should you do if that's where you are now? See David's remedy of prayer here. His complaint is part of his prayer. He went to Yahweh with his complaint. And likewise, be committed to call out to Jesus in your time of trouble and doubt. Know that it isn't right for us to go to God and to complain of him and his works as if he did something wrong. However, we are permitted to bring our complaints to him. But never forget the truth. He has never forsaken those who seek him, and he never will. And let that 
inform the thoughts of your complaint, even before you bring it. May that challenge your heart's complaints. May that reality bring peace and salve and solace to your troubled heart. As you look around and you ask the question, why? May that sink in and give you peace. But as you think about and consider the prosperity of the wicked today, be comforted by the victory of your Savior and King. Be at peace with the will of the eternal God as He is building your godly character in times of trouble and suffering. As He is restoring the image of Christ in you and as He is and will execute His righteous judgment and justice on the wicked, they can prance and dance in their pride. And they can spew evil from their lips. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will stand against them and our covenant God will bring them down. They can lurk and crouch. But none will escape God's vengeance on those who seek to do His people harm and hate Him. I'll leave you with this from Proverbs 10. 27 through 29. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. Let this inform any perception that goes awry of the person or work of your God. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, you are great. You are mighty and above all. Lord, may you comfort our hearts and even challenge our hearts and bring peace to our hearts when trouble tries to stir within and bring us to a place of doubt of you or your presence, of you or your comfort, of you or your faithfulness, O oh God. May your very word and, and, and by your spirit, may, may we be drawn to to reject those things and to get them out and to just re reject and deny them. Not even giving credence one moment to them because we know who you are. And we praise you for all of your marvelous works. We trust and we rely on you, O oh God. Oh, help us in our times of trouble. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.